Hey there, welcome back to Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show where we break down great retailers, the supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, and senior retail analyst here at FreightWaves. There's a lot of change going on in retail. I mean, retail's been in a constant state of evolution for centuries, been dating back to bazaars, but you know, some of the changes that we've seen throughout the pandemic, those were happening before the pandemic, but have been accelerated when we got stuck at home. It gave retailers and brands the opportunity to test new ideas, break things fast and learn really quickly from them. But a lot of that comes with headaches. It comes with problems on the supply chain side, with the technology side. You know, we can understand moving product closer to consumers. There's a lot of challenges in that. What does that, what does that take on the technology side, on the supply chain management and inventory management side? Well, we're going to talk to Michael Newcity today. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at ArcBest, and he is the President of ArcBest Technologies. And we're going to you know, get some perspective on how technology and specifically supply chain technology fits into all of these changes and what's driving some of the changes. So let's bring in Mr. Newcity right now. Michael, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Glad to be here. All right, so let's start a little bit with ArcBest Technologies. I just, you know, you have two roles here, right? You are the Chief Innovation Officer of ArcBest, and you are also the President of a wholly owned subsidiary, ArcBest Technologies. Just tell me a little bit about what the focus is at ArcBest Technologies. So ArcBest Tech, we're, like you said, we're a wholly owned subsidiary of ArcBest, and, you know, our primary focus is um, really on the, the needs, the asset base, asset light needs um, of serving our our shipping customers, our capacity providers, of, of making logistics easier to access. And, you know, we do that at, at ArcBest Technologies through a team of close to 500 uh, employees across your traditional information technology, um, data science, operation science, and a research and development group. And the, the company's been in place since the mid-1960s. And um, has really evolved uh, since then. If I'd say one thing that I really love about the organization is that our technologists, um, not just, they just not understand technology, they understand uh, the, 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 the business. They understand freight, logistics, transportation, uh, average tenure, about 13 years. And so they really get in and understand the technology uh, and the business as well. Yeah, Michael, I'm really glad you brought that up because I was listening to your last conversation you had at FreightWaves Live with Kevin Hill. And you spoke about having, you know, te having technology people that also have some supply chain knowledge. And I just, you know, wanted, can you add a little bit more color on that? Because I think it is a really important point. You know, we, we've noticed this at FreightWaves bringing in uh, ex-freight ex, uh, people to come, come learn the technology. And we've seen the opposite happen as well. Technology people come in and learn freight. You know, talk to me about the importance of having people in technology that do understand the industry, understand uh, freight and logistics. Yeah, I think, you know, when I came to the organization in 1993, um, I, I was uh, working for ArcBest Technologies um, and I was assigned to uh, really a kind of a customer service here. We were developing software for customers to track and trace freight, download reports. Um, it was software was given away. Of course, that all migrated to the web in the late 1990s. But um, our technologists come in and they get assigned to a certain area, whether it be like where I was assigned with, with customer support and service or it might be freight operations, or it might be finance and accounting. 
and they kind of grow up in those functions and they understand the technology, they grow in the disciplines around those areas. I made, you know, even as a, uh, a programmer with just a year's worth of experience, I was going out to the field and uh, meeting with customers and uh, uh, riding with, with sales and account managers. And so I think the benefit is that um, you've got a group of, of folks that are really intelligent and they're developing systems. They're, a lot of that's processes and they really understand the areas that they're in and they understand the needs of the business. And so it makes a much more collaborative experience in terms of um, developing technology and, and really innovation. Yeah, I'm sure it, as it has at Freightways for me, it drives a lot of learning, I would assume, uh, between, you know, between the groups. If you have collaborative people that can teach each other a lot. I want to go back to a point you made in your in your opening statement was just about making technology more accessible, because, you know, even here at Freightways, where we cover all of these freight tech startups and the, you know, the big players like ArcBest that also have incredible technology platforms. There are there's a lot of technology out there in the freight industry and it can get confusing. It can get complex and it can get, you know, downright paralysis almost trying to decide what is what you need and, and what you uh, can afford. How do we make it more accessible? How do we make it simpler for freight participants in every segment of the supply chain? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I did um, when I began my role as CFO in 2010, I did I did CFO. I was in that role for for five years. And I was mainly in the role around developing strategy. And at the time, we went through a process to improve the way that we manage strategy. And, and one um, impression on that period was the ability or the, the desire to really tightly align initiatives around a corporate strategy. And so one of the ways that you you choose technology project, projects is you, is you have to focus. And so when you're aligning your technology initiatives, which we do, to our strategy, that creates the focus that we need in choosing what to, what to work on and what to ignore. Um, it also allows us to understand where we want to go look for emerging technologies, where we want to assess um, uh, startups. Um, and so that's the that's the that's really where I would say is you back up from looking at all the array of emerging tech and all the array of um, options in in start in the startup space, and you start out with understanding where your 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 strategic objectives are, um, the uh, the KPIs you're trying to trying to improve, and then you have a discussion about the technology you want to. And, uh, deploy. So Michael, let's hone in on retail here for a moment and talk about some of those objectives, some of the things that you're seeing from, from your customers, uh, the things that they're trying to achieve and some of the things just in general in the industry, the trends you're seeing, you know, what is what is driving some of the complexity in retail? What are some of the changes that you're seeing uh, right now? You know, I think the biggest change for retail when I when I step back and look at that is that their, their supply chains, their delivery models are really being defined by customer expectations. Um, there's high experience expectations, they're across the spectrum. Um, many of those are gonna impact the supply chain. And, and I think the, the challenge there is that when you're dealing with traditional, a traditional supply chain model, um, which is just very reactive to demand changes and it's restricted by kind of linear planning and a replenishment framework, there's got to be a transition um, from that traditional lin linear brick and mortar um, to something 
uh, that's more um, agile, okay? And what we're seeing is we're seeing traditionals going online, we're seeing digital borns going brick and mortar, and we're seeing verticals doing direct to consumer um, in that desire to meet these changing consumer expectations. But it just doesn't start uh, stop at, um, you know, expectations around experience or expectations around um, delivery modes. You know, we've got a rise in expectations around um, social concerns, environmental concerns. And so you've got consumers that are that are voting with their purchases uh, based on those elements. Well, those are going to define the supply chain as well. And so I think there's a lot of things that are happening. Uh, well, you can't ignore globalization in that as well um, that are happening that make the supply chain um, setup, the development of those retail supply chains very complex. I like that you talked about uh, how we've got, we've got digital e-commerce, uh, natively digital e-commerce brands opening brick and mortar stores. We've got brick and mortar companies looking to go online. This is, I think, back a couple a couple years ago. We, you know, the, the digital freight matchers were coming online in the freight industry, and you had you had legacy brokers, and you had you had legacy brokers with incredible technology, and you had digital freight matching, who were also adding lots of brokers. Right, you're having this convergence between the two models as they look to have you know a hybrid model with very efficient. Uh, use of technology with people. And you're seeing the same thing, right? We're seeing a convergence between Amazon and Walmart. Amazon's opening stores. Walmart is growing e-commerce 50% year over year. So you're definitely seeing a convergence there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an issue of survival, Andrew. I mean, really. And, you know, they're hearing it from their customers. Um, they're seeing it online. I mean, even we even see it in terms of uh, customer experience expectations. Um, we strive to have an experience in our online systems that our customers access that uh, is in line with what they experience on Amazon or Google, because that is the expectation in terms of experience. Let's talk a little bit about uh, sustainability for a moment, because you know this is this is something that's coming from consumers, but the you know coming from the brands also down their supply chains, their brands and retailers. When Amazon, Walmart, Target, they set their you know twenty forty carbon neutral goals, that means they go have, go have to go out and find transportation partners that can uh, help them achieve those goals. So you know, talk to me about uh, you know how that trickles down through the supply chain and how you guys can use technology and the innovation that you guys drive at ArcBest Technologies to, you know, to help help them meet their goals. Yeah, I think, you know, a big theme that I'll probably bring up over and over again is around data and really to to reduce the footprint or to reduce the carbon emissions footprint. You have to have a really highly optimized network. OK, it's got to be something that's just much more. Um, responsive and agile. You know, the current focus for uh, retail, the historic focus for supply chain, any supply chain has been about demand forecasting. It's a it's a model that's uh, probably from the 1960s. Um, it's about trying to have as much of an accurate forecast as you can around demand and then building a supply chain around that. Um, but the reality is that today we have much more advanced algorithmic models, uh, much more of an ability to do continuous planning um, through through advances in AI and machine learning, and really the opportunity to build uh, networks that are more 
agile and responsive to real-time demand to really uncertainty. And my perspective is that's the model that you move to um, if you want to reduce um, carbon emissions and, and, and reduce things like empty miles, um, improve raw load average, things like that, is you've got to move to, to a model that is, it, it's still predicting demand to some degree because you've got to build a certain framework uh, to move goods within. But from there, it's got to be, also have an element that's very agile and responsive to the real-time demand. You know, and, and for a small to medium-sized business, you know, a small shipper, you know, that sounds like a daunting task. Uh, it sounds like, you know, something that sounds expensive. Tell me, tell me why I'm wrong there. No, I, I think you're very right. There's a lot, of, you know, what I say is we're all going to have to go back to the, to the math class, right, <laughs> to learn all this stuff. And a lot of folks fear that, including my, including my kids. Um, but that's the reality. But I think, the, you know, you've also, with that, uh, that market of, of demand forecasting, there's a whole uh, slew of vendors that came up through that, that era um, on software for, around supply chain planning software. That's about a $6 billion market. It's maturing, it's changing, it's seeing the need as well. Um, they're adopting uh, much more uh, resources and capabilities around AI and machine learning. They're, they're going through a paradigm shift to develop more agile planning um, they're, they're looking at things like algorithmic planning, which is the use of really complex mathematical algorithms to drive speed and scale and improve decision-making. Um, they're looking at continuous planning where these planning systems can kind of run in the background and they're activated by new data that's coming in from the real world. Um, and so what I'd say to those smaller players is that uh, look to those those existing software platforms and those providers, um, there's a there's two or three dozen of them, and see where they're at in that in that uh, in that evolution of adapting their software. Okay, I, you know, Michael, I do want to I want to bring you back just for a moment because you said you said continuous forecasting, and honestly, I I don't know what it is. So can just just uh, talk a little bit about what is continuous forecasting? What is how is it different from you know traditional demand forecasting? Yeah, the idea of continuous forecasting is that you've got um, a model, say a, a digital twin of the operations. It understands all the, the puts and takes. It understands the whole process. It's, it's linked up, it's end to end throughout the supply chain. And it understands if this certain component moves up or down, what's the downstream or upstream impact and how do we have to adjust? It includes um, advanced analytics, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. It's got a unified kind of data model. So everyone's on the same data model. And it's based on what's actually happening in the operations in the business, in the market real time. And then what it's doing, it's providing recommendations uh, to, to, to folks to manually adjust uh, inventory levels or something else or, or move product to one location to another location or in some cases, it may even be automating those actions. And so the idea is that you've got some large scale system that understands the operations end to end across the supply chain. It's monitoring those operations and then it's making adjustments as it sees changes in product demand. 
Okay, good. I'm glad that you uh, mentioned digital twin because this is something that I've been hearing a lot about uh, and and hearing people reference. But now I, I do understand. I'm getting my understanding. Let's let's hop back into just some of the changes that we've seen in uh, retail over the past year. What some of the accelerations of changes? Right, omnichannel uh, had been a push for many years prior to the pandemic, but this kind of forced it upon us. And the retail is a good thing for the retailers, right? We can talk about the unit economics, the difference between shipping from store and not have, or not shipping from store, but having a uh, pickup in store and having to ship from a fulfillment center. Target is probably the best in class here. They say they have a 40% cost reduction if they have somebody pick up in store versus shipping some fulfillment methods. So uh, just, you know, talk, I guess, talk to me about how, you know, the, the back end of the technology here, is there any, you know, what kind of changes are necessary in this environment? Like what are the challenges technolo- technologically uh, from shipping from store and some of these different fulfillment methods? Yeah, no, I think the issue, I think the main issue here is, is this, is that it's really impossible to manage an omnichannel supply chain without some type of integrated software platform that incorporates all aspects of the business. You know, each aspect, uh, of the supply chain has to be integrated. It has to function throughout the, the marketing, sales, uh, procurement, logistics functions. Um, it needs to include key elements like uh, full visibility, forecasting, inventory planning, order management, stock replenishment, replenishment. And the other thing is that data silos just can't exist within Omnichannel because you're trying to create this unified channel uh, for consumers and then manage it on the back end. So to me, the key element there is really the orchestration of that software across all those elements. It's the orchestration of end-to-end uh, kind of a, uh, a master data management plan across all those elements uh, to make it function. To me, those are the, the probably the two foundational elements for from a, techno, from a technical perspective to make it work. The other day, this happens quite often, actually. I, we, we are Walmart shoppers. We've got one just a mile from me here uh, in Signal Mountain, Tennessee. And, you know, Walmart's got some of the best inventory management software in, in the entire world. Uh, but, you know, my girlfriend, Courtney, will say, hey, pick up X. You know, they say they have it in store right here, you know, and I'm at Walmart. She's calling me and I'm like, hey, I'm looking at the shelf. It's just simply not here, right? These are data silos. These are things that data is not um, keeping up with as fast as the inventory is moving. So I just wanted to mention that it's difficult. Like these are not easy things. These companies are working through it. They're experimenting and iterating on this, right? Yeah. You mentioned the tech phrase at the beginning of our um, discussion here, analysis paralysis. Well, I'll give you another one. It's garbage in, garbage out. And that's really about the data side that if, and it, and what I'd say is um, perfection is the goal, but you know, someone in that store might've missed a scan and, and then you don't get the right answer online. So I think, you know, you're always going to end up with some level of imperfection in those, in those views of data because of some type of manual uh, mishap, for example. And um, you can have the, 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 the most perfect system in place, but at some point, some of the elements in that system are going to still require um, manual inputs, right? Um, so, Michael, let's go pretty broad here. Let's talk about just some big themes that you are seeing in retail supply chains right now. You know, I think the first thing I'd say is that um, I'd say innovation in retail supply chain, whether it be through the adoption and use of emerging tech or via startups, is really focused around those evolving and rapidly changing omnichannel goals while also balancing cost and service. That hasn't changed, and that's still 
progressing. So you're going to see a lot of emerging tech. You're going to see a lot of startups still uh, coming online to, to, to focus on those omni-channel goals. You know, the second thing I'd say, and this won't come as any surprise, is that there's not this one big thing that's going to change the entire retail supply chain. It's a combination of innovations and emerging tech that's driving really significant evolutionary chain change in the retail supply chain. Um, I, I mentioned we're all going to have to get more comfortable with math and, and really advanced math. And I say that for two reasons. The first is around planning. We've already talked about this a little bit, but I think you've got this fork in the road where you're trying to get to this optimized uh, supply chain and you're trying to use innovation and you can use innovation and data and machine learning and AI to more accurately predict demand, improve that historical uh, demand forecast to set up the supply chain network. But the second thing you can do is you can use those innovations and data to facilitate a much more agile supply chain to deal with uh, the uncertainty of real-time demand or, or you can try to do a little bit of both. Um, and then the last thing I'd say, and this is more on the physical devicing uh, in tech and innovation, um, things like light cargo delivery drones that depend on really advanced mathematical models and AI and machine learning to perform their functions. So for me, Andrew, the big common denominator in a lot of this too is to have visibility on those emerging tech, realize that they're still trying to solve those same omni-channel goals. And then secondly, um, really having some kind of capacity uh, in the organization around data science and the, the emerging technology in that space. I don't mean to belabor the point, but you know, everybody is talking about uh, agility and flexibility in the supply chain, right? It's, it's necessary given the disruptions we've had over the past year, the bullwhip effect we've seen across almost every uh, sector, any, any, anything you've tried to buy at some point over the past year has probably been stocked out at some point. Like what, what are the things that need, what, what do retailers need to do to become more agile? Like, you know, we've talked about data, having better visibility into their data, but like, is there anything else? What else can they do? Yeah, I think one thing I said about Andrew is I think one thing I'd say is we probably need to, uh, we all need to realize that we've gone through something that we've never experienced before. And so um, some of the disruptions we're seeing now, um, some of the capacity constraints we're seeing now, uh, some of the, the, a lot of the bumpiness in inventory we're seeing now is really driven through a period that has gone through massive fluctuations. Uh, and so I'd say just, take a deep breath and, and continue to accelerate on some of the pre-pandemic uh, pre strategies around, uh, around uh, omni-channel, around uh, data science and understanding uh, the capabilities there. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, com a complete refresh of the plans that people had in place. It, it may mean that folks that were sitting on the fence around omni-channel or we're sitting on the fence around uh, some of the emerging tech in the, in, the, in, the, in the space, probably need to get off the fence. And I think that's happening as well. Yeah, just a couple companies to mention why you said that. I thought I think when you, when you think about those companies that were kind of on the edge, uh, that didn't feel it was necessary to do it because they did so well with their in-store. I think of Home Depot, right? The building supplies, when people think about the structural changes uh, from COVID, they, they talk about an e-commerce acceleration. The, 
The biggest e-commerce acceleration we've seen are in categories that were really slow to adopt e-commerce to begin with, grocery in particular, and building supplies and home improvement. Within three days, I've talked to Home Depot uh, multiple times over the past year. Within three days, they rolled out buy online, pick up in store, curbside pickup very rapidly, just dove full into omnichannel. And look what it's happened. Their stock price has doubled in the past year. They've had the best year in their history. And another one, when you spoke about staying with your pre-pandemic, um, you know, your pre-pandemic thesis, what you were trying to play out, I think of Under Armour. Under Armour is dealing with really strong demand right now, better demand than they've had in many years. But you know what they're doing? They are controlling the only one thing that they can control their inventory. They are under ordering, cleaning out their supply chain, running really lean. And I think it's really smart. I think that they are doing the right thing. They're sticking with that pre-pandemic plan. And I think they are just taking a breath and saying, listen, let's control what we can and keep keep on with this, uh, this good path. Yeah, those are two great examples. I, I think about, I think we were talking about this before. I, I think pre-pandemic, uh, my wife and I are huge uh, Amazon customers. And I think we, we know uh, all our delivery people by first name, um, we buy 100% of our Christmas gifts online, and uh, but we never did the uh, the store pickup, you know. And uh, even though you know Walmart had deployed that uh, well before the the pandemic, and I can tell you we love it and we're still using it uh, today. Um, you know, at Target, at, at at Walmart, you mentioned Home Depot, and I think it's going to be something. I think the curb pickup is going to be here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that I write about in point of sale, probably too much, but my belief that delivery and uh, and, vote, and buy online pickup in store, I just think buy online pickup in store has so much utility to consumers, especially those that live in suburban areas. You know, rural customers, it's a, it's a different scenario, but if you're within a couple miles of your store and you can pick it up for free, not have any additional costs on delivery and you can get it today, I mean, that is a really, uh, it's, a, it's a strong, um, it's a strong appeal. So, in, and it is, and in, in in what I'd say again is you, the retailers have to have the systems in place to manage that. And it's going to be a different kind of demand. I think I was reading on somewhere online about the, the you know, when you, when you have someone go in store, uh, what are the ancillary items they actually end up getting um, that, that add to their purchase versus if they're buying online, even if it's a, even if it's a, a curb pickup, right? And there's, we're seeing we're seeing different products that are picked, um, but people aren't slowing down the add-ons uh, that they would do whether it was online or through a curb pickup. Yeah, and you're seeing, you know, last thing I'll note here, uh, you know, you're seeing Target and others that have done a really good job with buy online pickup in stores. They're adding more SKUs to the availability there. They just rolled out. Uh, you can pick up bottles of wine and alcohol now from buy, from from curbside. I think they've rolled that out in 600 stores or so. But that's it, right? You're buying your meat. You're buying your your pasta for dinner. Why not just add the bottle of wine? There you go. Have it for you know. They put on there a little discount for you. It's a very easy sell. All right, Michael. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time and all the insights today. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Andrew. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. We'll do it again soon. All right, everybody, that has been episode 15. I guess this is a bit of a milestone for us. Uh, thanks for taking the time today and spending some time. Make sure to subscribe to Point of Sale if you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Music, or Spotify. Also, subscribe to Freightcast. That is where you can get all of Freight Waves audio podcasts on one tidy feed. Everything we put out is fabulous. Okay, that's it. We will see you again next week. Thank <laughs> you.